Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. So I didn't know this, but my congressional district just got a huge makeover. And I can thank average citizens, average people in Solano and Contra Costa counties for that. Basically, my neighbors have successfully lobbied to create a district that is now the most diverse in all of the Bay Area. Brings together a lot of cities that previously had been split into different districts and Really unlike the rest of the Bay Area's house map, there's no obvious incumbent when you look at this new seat. The people who fought for this hope there will be more power and representation for communities of color in cities like Vallejo, Richmond, Fairfield, and Sassoon City. But the thing is, in the upcoming congressional election, the front runner doesn't actually live here. Today, the first election for the new and shiny District 8. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. This caught my eye, you know, going back to when I was covering redistricting uh, at the end of 2021. Guy Marzarati is a reporter and producer for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. This stood out because I think in a lot of ways, the creation of this district was a case study for the effectiveness of California's system. The way that we have an independent commission drawing these lines based on community input, which is different than most states, which rely on the state legislature to draw districts. And their interest is really making sure everyone who's in the legislature stays in the legislature. The redistricting commission and talking to some of their members 
they kind of point to the 8th District as a shining example of like, look, this in this area, we started from scratch. We started by listening to the voices of residents and drawing this new district and resulted with a successful effort by these regular residents to change their district to really influence their own representation. Okay, so tell me about the 8th District. Where is it? What cities does it include? So the 8th District is going to include a lot of the region's industrial cities and suburbs. So Richmond, Pittsburgh, uh, parts of Antioch, Benicia, Sassoon City, Fairfield, and then Vallejo. Well, well, the importance of redistricting is, is to elevate your voice. With people... And that's uh, in Vallejo where I met Latresa Wilson-Alford. She's vice president of the Solano Napra chapter of Black Women Organized for Political Action. And so your voices come together because you have the same interests and the same concerns. And so therefore you want a representative who's going to listen to you and understand your concerns and, you know, be your voice, either in Congress or in the Assembly. She's one of the activists who pushed for these cities to all be included in the district. Um, And her reasoning really tied back to the U.S. Census, which is the bedrock of redistricting, right? Like, first we figure out where do people live and then, okay, how to reflect that uh, in political lines. And she really put it in terms that didn't have a lot to do with politics. She says, you know, when she looks at the census, she sees residents of color priced out of the East Bay over time and they're heading largely to Solano County. Some of the fact that folks in Richmond would come to Vallejo to go to church. There's a fish shop here in Vallejo. You see people from Richmond coming to purchase fish here, you know, and 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 then also you see people from Vallejo going to Pittsburgh, taking their kids to to participate in events in Pittsburgh. And so we looked at all that information and we began to see that this is the community. How different is this from what districts look like before? So in this area, it's quite a big change. In the current congressional map that we have and that we've had for the last 10 years, these cities are paired mostly with whiter and wealthier communities. The needs that these communities have really had to compete with places that have a whole different set of needs, right? So like Vallejo is in a district with Napa and wine country. Richmond is with La Mirinda, the Tri-Valley suburban areas. The priorities of agriculture and tourism that you'd find in wine country, that doesn't really relate to Vallejo. The needs of open space or like corporate headquarters that you'd find in the suburbs, that's not really what Richmond residents may have as top of mind. If you combine all these cities into a single district, the thinking is that like their shared needs, affordable housing, uh, issues related to the region's refineries, all five of them are in this new 8th district, those needs won't be competing for a Congress member's attention, right? So the thinking is that this new seat will basically require whoever represents it to have a laser focus on these issues. Another thing that makes this 8th district really unique is its racial and ethnic diversity. It'll be the only House district in California where white residents, black residents, Latino residents, and Asian residents all make up at least 15% of the citizen voting age population, which is... A big reason why the folks who created this seat or advocated for its creation 
really hoped that it would result in diverse representation in Congress. I mean, yeah, I I mean, this is my district guy, which is pretty cool. So who is running in the upcoming June election for this district? Well, the day that the maps were approved by the redistricting commission, Congressman John Garamendi, who lives in Sacramento County, announced that he's actually going to be running for this seat. And he doesn't have any high-profile opposition running against him on the ballot in June. There's Democrats, Christopher Riley, who's a high school math teacher in the East Bay, Cheryl Suddeth, the director at the West County Wastewater District, Edwin Rush, he runs the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy, and Rudy Rosselli, who's a Republican small business owner. And so they're on the ballot, and then Richmond City Councilmember Demlis Johnson is running a write-in campaign. So really, there's no expectation of a really competitive election against Garamendi, despite the fact that he doesn't even live in this district. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about John Garamendi. What's his deal? So he's been in California politics for a long time. He won his first race in the 70s. He's run for governor a few times. Uh, He served as lieutenant governor, insurance commissioner, and now for more than a decade in Congress. And why is Garamendi likely to win, even though he's this old white guy who doesn't live in this newly created, very diverse district. Why is he the front runner? I think it comes down to a few factors. So he comes in with name ID, resources, and then really like an institutional backing that none of those other candidates I mentioned can match. So he's represented parts of this district, the Fairfield area. So at least like a fifth of the voters in the district may recognize his name on the ballot. He's got more than a million dollars to spend on getting his name out to the rest of the district. Like if if you cross the Carquinez Bridge in Vallejo, you'll see this big Garamendi billboard greeting drivers. So he has the ability, the money to get his name out there. Garamendi also has endorsements from local officials. So, you know, the mayor of Antioch, Fairfield, the mayor of Vallejo, uh, lots of city council members in the region have all already backed his campaign as well. And then the Democratic parties put their support behind him, which is an important indicator to voters uh, in a liberal district. And I mean, that's interesting because the creation of District 8 really came out of work by local residents, activists in Solano County in the East Bay who really wanted to create a district where they could have more diverse representation. So I'm curious... Like, why doesn't he have any strong challengers who have similar backing or resources? I heard a few theories about that. One is just the lack of a political bench at the local level of Black, Latino, and Asian residents. So there's been some research on this from Bay Rising and Policy Link that found that while 60% of Bay Area residents are people of color, they only account for like a third of the region's local elected officials. Hmm. That's one theory. Folks don't feel that there would be enough backing. Um, I also, you know, talked to Javanka Beckles. She's an AC Transit board member. You know, been involved in Richmond politics for many years, former city council member in Richmond. And she really thought that the the main reason why more people were not getting in is just the presence of Garamendi, right? We know that it is a a lot more challenging running uh, against an incumbent as opposed to running in an open seat. Um, So initially, when folks heard about this new district, uh, I think that people felt intimidated because we kept hearing that he's an incumbent. He got in this race literally on day one, like when this district was created. Clearly, if you're an incumbent member of Congress, you're watching to see how redistricting plays out. And so he was ready, basically, right then to jump into this. And Beckles says that, you know, that fact that 
a sitting member of Congress gets in the race right from the start, that might be intimidating for other local candidates. He's, you know, an, an, an older, white, you know, established, you know, Democratic male. Um, and, and I think that a lot of folks, particularly of color, don't see that this, this party is, is going to be supportive of anyone other than that. And I know you actually spoke with Garamendi. What did he tell you about why he thinks he's still the best candidate for this new district? Yeah, Garamendi was really adamant that, number one, living in the district doesn't matter. I mean, it's definitely not required under law, unlike, you know, the state legislature. Congress members don't have to live in their district. But he went further. He said it doesn't matter that this is really about who can do the best job in the halls of Congress. This new district, a significant part of it is my current district. So it made sense to uh, stay with as much as the old district as possible. I even asked him directly, like, do you think now you can effectively represent this district if you're not living in it? Absolutely. Living in it's not required. To me, it's basically like the Liam Neeson theory of representation, right? (laughs) When the movie when he says, I have a very particular set of skills acquired over a long career. I mean, that's how Garamendi is thinking about this. He knows how to be a Congress member. And he recounted experiences to me of when he's been moved to different districts. The last redistricting process in 2011 sent him to this rural district. And he basically was like, look, uh, I met with a lot of farmer interests and agricultural interests. I learned about what the issues are. And then I represented those in Washington. Uh, it's just, just what I do. It's how I learn the issues of the community. And then my job is to represent those and to make sure to the best uh, possible to address the issues in the community. And there's some local residents who agree with that. What I always say is I just want one representative to obsess about us. I talked to Kay Patrice Williams, who's a Fairfield resident. She runs this community outreach firm, uh, Empower Solano. And she pointed to issues like Mare Island uh, in Vallejo and, and how Garamendi's experience with military issues in Congress could maybe help that former shipyard get congressional funding. And she also pointed to the fact, you know, in her words, she said, like, Garamendi was ready. And I like that we have somebody that cares, that is experienced, but cares about all of us that's in place in this moment in time. This uh, sea opened up. There was a time in which you can get on the ballot, and Garamendi was ready to do that. She was supportive of the fact that there are these new district lines that could promote more diverse representation. But she said for the next two years, she's happy with Garamendi being this Congress member. I think this is a pause in a moment of time. A, you, we did it. Um, but B, who do we place? Who is ready to run? I think that happens in a moment in time, and it will probably be soon, but I don't think it's this term. Okay, so I mean, I have to imagine that there are people who are not very happy with the fact that an old white dude who doesn't live in the district is running to represent them, especially after all the work they put into really reshaping this district. I'm curious what you heard from folks about the the idea of him running to represent them again. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of disappointment from the activists that were involved in creating this district. I mean, they put the time in to show why these communities really deserved their own congressional representation. 
And to now have that representation come from outside of the district, I think was a big letdown for folks who put the work in to get the 8th district uh, created. For me, it's more than just pursuing a position. This is my community. Cheryl Suddeth, a member of the West County Wastewater District Board of Directors, she's running for the seat. And she framed it kind of as like, you know, she experiences the issues that happen in the district on a day-to-day basis. She lives in San Pablo. So when something goes wrong, when that Chevron refinery goes off, I shelter in place too. I have bronchitis, so I have to deal with that. My daughter has asthma, so I have to deal with that. These aren't new things to me. When I talk about new and just knowing the issues is not the same as living with them every day. You know it intuitively, but you don't know it until you see it for yourself. And the ability to, to experience it firsthand has just strengthened my resolve to want to make an even bigger difference. I want to move on, Guy, to sort of what this means looking ahead. I mean, there are no term limits on these congressional seats. I'm curious how long might these activists have to wait before they really see the fruits of their labor around redistricting, where they start to see people who are running, who also reflect their communities in Congress. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with, I guess, you could say the glass half full perspective on this, which is that to effectively serve the 8th district, no matter who wins this race, they will have to listen to these communities. There's These communities are not diluted in this district with some other part of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So you could make an argument if Garamendi wins this seat, he will have to, in order to be reelected or you know to have success as a representative, he will have to listen to the needs of Richmond, of Vallejo, of Sassoon City, of Pittsburgh. But I will say there's, you know, most people would say that's probably too sunny an outlook and that, you know, this is an example of someone who's using kind of their institutional weight to come in and, you know, run in this district and that without term limits, who knows when we'll see representation from the district. I mean, these seats are up every two years and maybe it will just take another two years for someone to plan and mount a campaign uh, to run in this seat. Yeah. And it also, as you mentioned, is connected to sort of what's happening locally as well in terms of getting diverse representation on city councils and school boards locally to sort of help build that bench, too. Right. And that's definitely a long game. You know, that's something that groups like Bay Rising Action have been working at for a long time to start, you know, building up uh, representation at the local level. But, you know, there's a lot of very qualified local representation, Black, Latino representation, Filipino representation in these communities already. Bigger picture, though, in the Bay Area, I would say we have an incumbent class that has been there for a long time in our House representation. And I think this story also goes to show that the passing of the torch, even from Democrat to Democrat is not going to be smooth and it's not going to be simple. And in some cases, you know, it it might take longer than a lot of residents want and will result in what we've already seen, competitive kind of changing of the guard elections. And we might have to see that in this region as well. Guy, thank you so much. My pleasure. 
That was Guy Marzarati, a reporter and producer for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. This 18-minute conversation with Guy was cut and edited by producer Maria Eskinka. I scored this episode and added all the tape. Our editor is Alan Montecilio. And if you haven't already, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening. It really helps other people to find our show. On Twitter, you can find us at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks so much for listening. Peace. It sounds like we're saying Fairfield and Sassoon is the Bay Area, which, I mean, this is up to the redistricting maps, not me. I know. I think this, these maps go a long way towards settling an existential Bay podcast question. <laughs> the, the redistricting commission has ruled Fairfield and Sassoon City in the Bay. Right, exactly. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.